You are listening to the Murray Hills Church Podcast. To learn more about Murray Hills Church, including our gathering times and how to connect with us, visit us online at murrayhills.com. Our kids can be dismissed to uh, children's ministry now. We get the stage reset just a little bit. Kindergarten through fourth grade that way. And Miss Tammy's over there and volunteers over there to meet you. Fifth and sixth that way. And I think there's a junior high class starting up pretty soon. I don't know if that started yet or not, but uh, I'm going to sneak back, grab my table real quick. Uh, It is good to see, I don't know if you noticed as those kids were leaving, the numbers are starting to grow in our children's ministry. So every Sunday, the numbers have been rebuilding. We had 65, 70 kids uh, with us last Sunday. And what that means is, as our numbers rebuild with kids, we've got to rebuild our volunteer base, because more kids equals more volunteers. It's simple math, right? Um, So if you're interested in helping with our children's ministry, we're having kind of a volunteer push right now uh, to get some new volunteers in there. And anybody can serve in that ministry. You do have to pass a background check, and there's a little bit of training involved, because we're working with children. But um, you just see Tammy. Tammy's down. She'll be down in the children's ministry wing, or you can email Tammy. It's T-A-M-M-I at MurrayHills.com, or you can mark it on the back of your card, I'm ready to volunteer, and uh, we'll get you connected. And they're not going to burn you out. It's not going to be every single Sunday for the rest of your life. That's the way most children's ministries work. But we got trying to create a rotation system where you serve a couple Sundays, and then you got a couple off, or you serve a couple, that kind of thing. So if you're interested in helping out, that's, uh, that's how you do that. So next Sunday... It's Mother's Day. It's kind of hard to believe that it's like it's, the, the year's just flying by. And uh, I have a, and I'm, I'm, yeah, I see, you know, Pat and Maddie there. You know, I, I'm, I'm letting you know. So, so, you know, go ahead and buy mom a present. You know, there's no reason to forget and that kind of thing. So, um, but I have an uncanny ability for preaching weird topics on Mother's Day. And any of you who've been around Murray Hills for a while know this. Like that, we've talked about like evolution on Mother's Day, and we've talked about the death penalty and uh, Islam. And I don't know, there's all kind of weird topics that we, Todd makes fun of me for it all the time. But for some reason, I'm always talking about something weird on Mother's Day. And the reason is, I don't look at the calendar. So Mother's Day is always, what, three, four, five, something weeks after Easter. And we always kick out a new series on Easter, and so I'm just kind of preaching through whatever the series is on Easter, and I'm not paying any attention to what we're going to talk about on Mother's Day. It's just whatever, whatever the series, however it falls. You can be thankful, though, this year I checked the calendar, and this year I looked and noticed, oh, that's Mother's Day. We don't need to talk about that on Mother's Day, because here's the way the Sermon on the Mount series was supposed to go. We were going to talk in the first week, the Beatitudes, and then in week two, which would have been last week, we would talk about salt and light. And then in week three, which would have been today, we talk about murder and anger. Then in week four, Mother's Day, we would talk about adultery, divorce, and lust. Uh, and I caught myself this year. And like, no, 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 we can't. So I redid the schedule. That's why we did the Beatitudes and salt and light together. So that on week four, Mother's Day, we could talk about love. And so that's what we're going to talk about on Mother's Day. Yeah, you can applaud that. You can applaud that. You can applaud it even more because I'm not going to be preaching next Sunday. Uh, Ebony is going to be preaching next Sunday because I thought it would be really cool if we had an actual mother preach on Mother's Day. And so that, yeah, so we get to hear from an actual mother on Mother's Day. And she's going to be talking about love uh, in the, from the Sermon on the Mount. 
The bad news is, and you probably won't applaud this, that means today we've got to talk about adultery and uh, divorce and lust because that's where the text takes us. So we're in Matthew chapter 5, if you want to read along with us. I think it starts in verse 26. Um, so I've not opened it yet. Matthew chapter 5, 27. Verse 27. And uh, here's our text. We'll read it and talk about it today. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her a victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard it said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Oh, um, I'm calling this message faithfulness because I'm looking for a theme in those three. And, it, and there is a theme that, that Jesus is following here. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But there's a whole lot to unpack in those, those few verses that I read. Those are ten verses. There's a lot to unpack. Jesus says a lot of very difficult things in this teaching, uh, especially what he says about adultery and lust. That's a difficult teaching. He says some confusing things in this teaching when he talks about don't make an oath to the Lord and you know don't swear by Jerusalem. That's confusing because we're separated culturally there and it's kind of hard to understand what he's talking about there. And he says some things that have caused a lot of heartburn for people. What he says about divorce and remarriage has, has caused a lot of heartburn for folks. And um, what I'm going to try to do is take like a 30,000-foot view of these passages. We're not going to get into the weeds on each of these because you, you, literally there's books written about just a few of these. That, that teaching on divorce, there, there's countless books that are written on that specific teaching alone. And then the, the teaching on adultery, not many people teach on the one on oath because, like I said, that one's a little bit confusing. But, I mean, there's, we could spend a ton of time just talking about each one of these. I'm going to try to kind of get a, a big picture of it and try to understand what is it that Jesus is actually telling us to do here as citizens of a different kingdom. Because this whole thing we're talking about in this series is as citizens of a different kingdom, we live differently than the world around us. So in what way is Jesus calling us to live differently from the world around us in this teaching right here? And you'll notice he's continuing the, you have heard it said, but I tell you. You've heard it said, referencing an Old Testament law, but I tell you. And when he does that, he always deepens the meaning of the law and raises the standard. So the three we're dealing with here, the first one is the seventh commandment. Jesus says, you shall not commit adultery. That's Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. But Jesus says, you shouldn't even look at another person lustfully. In other words, adultery is more than just a physical act. And then he quotes the Mosaic law concerning divorce, which is Deuteronomy 24.1, that if you're going to divorce your wife, and only men could seek a divorce at that time, if you're going to divorce your wife, you must write her a certificate of divorce. Jesus says, don't divorce at all. It's like adultery. So stay married 
except in cases where adultery has already occurred and the vows have already been broken. And then the last one he quotes is actually a series of laws about swearing an oath, and that comes from Genesis 9, Leviticus 19, Numbers 30, and Jesus says, don't swear an oath at all. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. And you'll notice that all these are about relationships. Everything in chapter 5 is about relationships. So we've talked about reconciliation. We're talking about faithfulness today. We're talking next week about love and love for your enemies. Uh, Even the Beatitudes are in the context of relationships because how we live in relation to other people is very important to God. I said last week, the way we live in relation to other people is evidence of our love for God. And that's especially true in the marriage covenant, which is specifically what Jesus talks about in these, these first two sections of his teaching as he talks about adultery and divorce. And if I was to summarize it, which I have, here's the way I'd summarize it in just two sentences. Um, as citizens of another kingdom, or a different kingdom, as Christians, we're called to be faithful to our spouses by maintaining sexual purity in our relationships with our spouses, which includes not committing the physical act of adultery, but also not committing the emotional or mental act of adultery by lusting after another. And then as Christians, we're called to honor the marriage commitment by not seeking divorce, except in rare cases. And the bottom line, I think, when you tie in the oath pieces there, is we're called to be men and women of our word. That's that's the bottom line. We're called to be, as Christians, we're people who honor the commitment that we've made. And we honor the commitment that we've made to our spouses. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Now, those are really basic Christian teachings, right? There's, why would that cause heartburn for people when those are just, that, that, what I just shared is just a basic Christian teaching. Any of you who grew up in church probably heard something like that growing up, you know, most of your life you heard something like that. There's nothing surprising there. Why would it cause heartburn for us? Well, two reasons. <clears throat> One, it's an incredibly high standard. And let's don't, I mean, like, don't skip over that. Because what Jesus is saying here, the thing, when Jesus starts talking about marriage, even his disciples say, goodness, if that's the case, then how can any of, none of us should even get married. I mean, Jesus is taking the Old Testament standards, which was a high standard already, and he's, he's raising that standard. So it's, it, is a, it is a high standard when you compare it to the Old Testament law. It's a high standard when you compare it culturally. Like the world we live in today, that, that marriage covenant or commitment is not nearly as strong as it was, you know, generations ago. And so it's, this is a very high standard that Jesus is calling us to. So that's the number, that's one reason it causes heartburn for us. Because as, as believers, we read it and we get it and we're like, oh, yeah, that's some serious stuff there. Here's the other reason it causes heartburn. What Jesus says here in chapter 5 makes us all guilty. All guilty. Now, the denomination I grew up in put a whole lot of emphasis on that divorce and remarriage teaching. And, and that was the one that we tended to hammer. Like, you know, well, if you're divorced and remarried, then that's adultery and, you know, and, and you're living in adultery and all that kind of stuff. We never really talked about the passage before that, which compares lust to adultery. And, and the reason we didn't is because that would make all of us guilty. It was really easy back for our, our denomination to kind of point to, like, divorced people and say, oh, see, yeah, you're, you're committing adultery. But when we, when we back up and look at what Jesus says about lust, he makes all of us guilty of adultery. There is no one who is righteous, not even one. If lust is adultery and divorce is adultery, then we're all going to hell. I mean, that's the way that passage has been taught, and that's largely the way that passage has been understood. Now, thankfully, if you'll go back a few weeks, thankfully, our righteousness is not the determining factor 
as to whether or not we go to hell. Okay, the righteousness of Jesus is the determining factor for our eternal salvation. It's not based on our righteousness, because based on our righteousness, we're all guilty of sin. There's no one who is righteous, not even one. But we're all freely justified by Jesus. So, so God is not counting our sins against us. God made him who had no sin to become sin so that we could be made righteous. We're declared righteous because of what Jesus does. He does not count our sins against us. So I just said we're all guilty of adultery, but then I also tell you that God doesn't count our adultery against us. He declares us righteous. That's good news. Okay, that's the gospel. That's the gospel of grace. That is good news, and we cannot forget grace. But we cannot cheapen grace either. How many of you guys have heard of uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer? There's a picture I got up there, Ty's, you throw, or Keith, sorry, Ty's, Ty's on the camera today. Ty's usually doing the computer, but Keith. Uh, yeah, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a uh, very famous uh, Lutheran pastor. He was, he was a German Lutheran pastor uh, in World War II, and he famously opposed Hitler and was ex- killed by, executed by Hitler towards the end of the war. But he wrote a book, there's a great biography about him that was out a few years ago and I can't remember who wrote it and I would tell you but you just look up Bonhoeffer it came out four or five years ago but he wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship which is considered a Christian classic and in The Cost of Discipleship he coins the term cheap grace and he uses that to address a problem that some of you felt when I said God doesn't count our adultery against us because some of it, when, when I said that, it, just, it didn't feel right when I said that. Now, if I'd have said God doesn't count our sin against us, you'd all said, amen, amen, God doesn't count our sin against us. But when I named a specific sin, it kind of felt like, ooh, ooh God doesn't count our adultery against us. So that, that almost sounds like you're saying we can do whatever we want. That, I mean, that almost sounds like, you know, we can, we can go, we shouldn't worry about adultery, we shouldn't worry about lust, we shouldn't worry about divorce, we shouldn't worry about it honoring our word i mean we shouldn't worry about any of those things because god's not going to count us against us i mean that's what you said you said god's going to show us grace and if god's going to go show us grace then i should be able to do whatever i want i should be able to do whatever makes me happy i should i mean that's and and that's the cheap grace concept that bonhoeffer is talking about he's like that's cheap grace and he defines it as grace that we bestow upon ourselves or grace that doesn't require a change in our behavior. Like, it's just, you know, I, I can just keep doing what I want because God's just going to show me more grace. You already said it's not my righteousness, it's his righteousness. So if Jesus has declared me righteous, then I can live however I want. Bonhoeffer says it's, it's, that's justification for uh, sin, but not justification for the sinner. And here's the way he describes it in The Cost of Discipleship. I want to read you an extended quote of his. I put part of it on the screen. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness i'll drop down the second sentence cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance or baptism without church discipline or communion without confession cheap grace is grace without discipleship grace without the cross grace without jesus christ living and incarnate and what he does is he contrasts that with what he calls costly grace and he says costly grace is costly because it calls us to follow it's costly because it cost a man his life. It's costly because it condemns sin. And above all, it's costly because it costs God the life of his son. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Costly grace confronts us as a gracious follow, call to follow Jesus. 
And what Bonhoeffer gets at is something that uh, Paul talks about in Romans 6. So in Romans 3, Paul talks about how there's no one who's righteous, and then he, he gives this beautiful explanation of the justification by faith and the fact that we're saved by God's grace. But then in chapter 6, he kind of counters an argument, anticipating an argument, that people are going to say in response to that, well, then, if that's the case, I mean, that, that's a great deal. If God's just going to show us grace, then I'll just live however I want. Shall, shall we go on sinning so that grace may abound? And Jesus, Paul says, no, absolutely not. Grace condemns sin in our life. Grace kills sin in our life. Like it, you, you've died to sin. How can you continue to live in it any longer? And that's one of the passages I read to people before the baptism. You know, like this is, a, as you go under the water, this is a death to sin. This is not, you know, you're not being covered in grace so that you can now live however you want. This is, you're dying to sin and choosing to live for Christ. And, and what you see is that what Paul's addressing in Romans 6 is, a misunderstanding of grace or an abuse of grace. Bonhoeffer would call it cheap grace is what Paul's talking about in, in chapter 6. But what, what Paul's talking is basically saying we can't live in sin any longer. As people who live under grace, we can't live in sin any longer. In other words, grace takes sin seriously. And it's not like an either-or type proposition. Jesus takes sin seriously. I mean, when you read the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus takes sin seriously. That the stuff, it's hyperbole when he talks about cutting off hands and gouging out eyes and all that kind of stuff. But he's basically saying, take sin seriously. This is, serious, this is life and death stuff that we're talking about. So take it serious. And it's not like you can say, well, we're going to take grace serious, but we're not going to worry about sin. Or we're going to take sin serious, but we're not going to worry about grace. And that's traditionally how the church has handled it. And that's, you know, that we do, we're either all sin, and we're all going to focus on that, or we're all grace, and we're all going to focus on that. And, and focusing on either one to the neglect of the other is imbalanced. Right? When, when I grew up, uh, the, the church that I grew up in, we took sin seriously. We hardly said a word about grace. But I heard sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon on sin. Like, we took sin seriously, especially sexual sin. I don't know why it got a special place, but sexual sin, we took that super serious. Gossip, we weren't too concerned about. That, you know, that's, that's, one of the, that's one of the minor ones. You can still slip in if you gossip a little bit. But now, the other stuff, you better. We, we talked a lot about sin and not a lot about grace. And so consequently, a lot of people grew up in that environment thinking, I ain't got a shot. Like, there's, there's, there's no way I'll ever be saved because they never really heard anything about grace. And there were people who were in divorce situations or remarriage situations that said, I can never actually be acceptable to God. I mean, there were people who were taught that if, if you're divorced or remarried, you're living in adultery. And the only way to rectify that situation is to seek a second divorce, which is also sin. So you're kind of in a catch-22 situation. What do you do? Do you keep living in this situation or do you get a divorce? It's kind of like, what do you do? And it was impossible. And there, and there were people, I heard, I, I've had people that were divorced that have told me, you know, there's no hope for me. I mean, I'm still coming to church, but there's just no hope for me. And, that, and that's sad because they never heard about grace. They never heard about the idea that you can start over. That, that you know, there's repentance and there's forgiveness. And there, I mean, there's, there's, there's God's grace and God's grace is extended to everybody. And so as I grew up, like when I got in college, the church rightly began to talk more and more about grace. And it became kind of a, a major focal point of the church. But as my 
old elder, you know, Harold Clark used to talk about, he talked about the pendulum swing sometimes that we do in churches. And like, you know, we get focusing on one area a little bit too much. And so we like, we, we need to correct that. And the church like, we're talking too much about sin and not about grace. I mean, goodness, there's a lot of grace in the New Testament. Let's talk about grace. And we swung the pendulum possibly too far in the other direction to where for a while, all we heard was about grace. It was all about grace. And we hardly ever talked about sin anymore. And so a lot of people grew up in that church going, having a fairly casual relationship with sin, especially sexual sin. Like, uh, you know, it's not that big a deal. It's just, you know, marriage is not that big of a, a deal. You can, you know, you take it or leave it. And so it, you know, like the church gets imbalanced. So, we, you know, you, gr you grew up with people feeling like, you know, they were never going to have grace and never going to experience God's grace. And we, we want to talk that, yes, you can experience grace. And, yes, there is repentance. And, yes, there's forgiveness. And, yes, there's starting over. And, absolutely, there is the grace of God. But at the same time, the marriage covenant is important. And, and sexual sin is serious. And, like, I'm like, all of that, like, it's, it's both and. It's not either or. The marriage covenant is something that should be honored. It should be kept at all costs. That's what Jesus is saying here. That outside of our commitment to God, it's, it's one of the most important commitments that we make. And sex within marriage is something that should be honored. We should strive to remain faithful. We should be men and women of our word. We should be people who try, strive to honor our commitment both physically and emotionally. And, and the quote that for me kind of captured it, and I was reading this months ago, and I, and I, don't, I don't know who said it. I, I probably should have done more Google research because I could have figured it out. But uh, this quote right here, I read it in a book called The Program, but I can't remember them citing who said it. But they described commitment as this. Commitment is doing what you said you would do long after the mood you set it in has left. Commitment is doing what you said you would do long after the mood you set it in has left. And I think that's a pretty good summary of Jesus' teaching here. I, I don't think Jesus was like subject jumping when he went from adultery to divorce to oaths like keep your word I, I think keep your word kind of fits in with everything jesus has said about that that marriage covenant and i think this is a great way of, of putting it well in other words commitment is not a, an emotion it's not a feeling it's not like you know what well, yeah, i'm committed as long as it feels good i'm committed as long as it makes me happy uh that that's not commitment Commitment is a, is a, it's a decision that you make, and it's a decision that you honor even when it doesn't make you happy anymore, even when it doesn't fulfill you anymore. And it, like, it's one thing, and many of you have taken those vows before of marriage, and I've got a, a wedding coming up next week, next weekend. I've got a, a wedding coming up, and it's a younger uh, couple, and I always, when they're, when they're younger and they're in their 20s, and you're like, when you stand up there and you, make, you take that vow in your 20s, you just got no idea, do you? I mean, it's, I mean, I, I wish there was some way to explain it to them. There's not. There's no way because they're in love. And there's no way to explain, like, you just don't, you don't have any idea. Like, this is, this is huge. For better or worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and health, till death do us part. Do you understand what you're saying right here? I mean, this is huge because I know right now it feels easy. And that's an easy commitment to make right now. But wait until it gets hard. Wait until it's sickness more than health and wait until it's poverty more than riches and wait until, i mean it's it, lo, the love is going to ebb and flow there's going to be seasons in your life where it's really strong there's going to be seasons in life of struggle there's going to be mistakes there's going to be sin you're marrying somebody that's sinful and you're sinful and you guys are going to live together and you're going to spend all this time together get ready 
I mean, I, I hope they're not here today because they're like, wow, this is, a, you're, this is so encouraging. This is the best, yeah. I hope, I hope they're skipping this Sunday. But, like, I mean, it's, what I'm saying is it's tough, right? It's tough. And it's, but it's a commitment that you make that, hey, regardless of what happens from this point forward. And I understand, you know, many of us are in situations where we haven't been able to keep that commitment, possibly because the, the commitment was just broken in a, in a very bad way by, you know, may have been broken sexually, may have been broken physically through abuse and those types of things. I mean, it's, it's not easy. And the only way it happens is through the grace of God. I mean, that's, it only happens through the grace of God. Because within us, we don't have enough to, to, to honor some type of commitment like that. And so we just have to keep leaning to the grace of God. Everything Jesus talks about in chapter 5 doesn't happen without the grace of God. Reconciling with those who have hurt us and harmed us in some way. Not harboring bitterness and anger in our heart to people who have wronged us. Not lusting after others. Not being, being not only just physically true to our relationships, but emotionally true to our relationships. Uh, upholding our, our commitment in marriage. And there's some people that have upheld the commitment in marriage even through the, the exceptions that Jesus gives. You know, honoring our word. Keep, uh, keeping our word. Let's don't skip over that one. That's a tough thing. In all, in all contexts. Not just in relationships, but in business dealings and everything. Love for your enemies. Not seeking revenge. You've heard it said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't, don't seek to turn the other cheek. I mean, everything Jesus is teaching here is not possible without the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit produces the characteristics in our lives that give us the ability to live in the way that Jesus is calling us to. That's all I got. We'll pick up there next week. Ebony will pick up there next week. With uh, chapter what, verse thirty-eight, I think it is, is where Ebony will pick up. Let me say a word of prayer for us, and uh, I got just two things to tell you about, and we'll be dismissed. Father, I am always um, humble. Anytime I open your Word, especially when I read the teachings of your Son Jesus, uh, they are very convicting teachings. And um, I'm, I'm thinking about the two groups of people I talked about in here. There, there are some folks that have been beat up with these passages. And um, the passages have been used as weapons to, to make them feel that you are not graceful and you are not loving and you are not merciful. And um, I'm sorry for that. And, and I pray that you would help those struggling with that to see that uh, you are grace and you are merciful and you are kind and there is no one past the point of redemption. There is no one living in a situation that is unreconcilable with you. And then I pray for those that maybe without even realizing it have kind of taken a more casual attitude towards commitments or relationships and just haven't really thought that it was all that important. And I pray that, that you would help convict them of the seriousness of sin. That, that as Jesus says, this is it's serious. It's something we want to to address is something we want to honor, that it, as people who have been saved by grace, if we've received this incredible gift, that, that you call us not to abuse that gift and, and, and not to cheapen that gift by acting like the way we live doesn't matter. And so I pray that you would help convict those who need convicting on those points. Uh, but Father, through it all, just 
give us the, the ability, give us the, your spirit to live in our lives, to help us to, to live out the principles of this, this sermon, this, this incredibly, incredibly challenging sermon of uh, just how we live that out in our relationships, especially those of us that are married, how we live it out in a marriage relationship, but those of us not married, how we live it out in our relationship with significant others. How do we, how do we live out the principles that you give us here and uh, that you make us men and women that are faithful and, uh, and men and women who have integrity and, uh, and high ethical standards, which is what you're calling us to here. And it's in the name of your son, Jesus, I pray these things. Amen. Um, all right, last two things. Growth track. I want to tell you about that. We decided to do a second growth track. So we had so many people sign up for the first one, and then we had a few co- If you are encouraged by today's talk, feel free to share it with your friends. Please also consider rating and subscribing on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more, please visit us online at murrayhills.com.